everybody. Um, I'm River from Stem with Grace. Um, I put out one episode of my podcast uh, just about over a month ago now. Actually, it might be over a month ago. I put that out. Let's see. January 30th. So I put out my first episode about two months ago, and I've been sitting on my second episode for a while, and it just hasn't really felt right to publish it because it's not quite what I wanted it to be, and it doesn't uh, really follow the direction of what I wanted for the podcast. Um, so first of all, thank you to all the people who have been really interested in the second episode. Um, I know I've gotten a lot of questions about when I'm going to drop the second one, and uh, I promise I've been working on it. <laughs> it is a thing. It is not, you know, I, I haven't forgotten about it. Um, and I also really appreciate everyone that has made it a point to tell me that it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be amazing. It just, you know, it just has to be out there. And that is one of my favorite things. You know, you can't edit a blank page. You have to start before you're ready and you have to give yourself permission to suck a little bit and that's okay. Um, you know, there's nobody's perfect at the start. and um, Special thanks to my research advisor who um, had me think about who wins if I don't do whatever, who wins if I don't publish the article, who wins if I don't put out the podcast episode. And that has been really, really helpful to think about um, because the kind of things that I want to do with STEM with Grace are very personal. And sometimes that makes it really hard for me to want to put it out there because I, you know, it's scary and that's real. Um, but there's also value in that. Um, so in that spirit, I have decided to try at least, um, to stop thinking about what this podcast should be and do what I want to talk about uh because you know that's more real and authentic and that's what I want to be on this and on everything that I you know put out into the world um so stay tuned and see what you think hi y'all welcome to another episode of stem with grace I'm River Terrell your non-binary host gracefully sharing science stories so to get started for today I want to talk about what it means to be graceful because you know the beginning of my podcast is usually gracefully sharing science stories and that in my head usually is something that is very you know elegant and beautiful and sweet and I want to you know float through the world sharing science and you know I'm wearing a photosynthesis hoodie and it's really cute for god like for goodness sakes um but there's also another side to grace. And I think that that is important to talk about. So it can be expressed through anger when someone is passionate about something they believe in, or when they see injustice, you can express your feelings of anger in a graceful and dignified way through peaceful protest or advocacy. And graceful anger can be a really powerful force for positive change and can inspire others to take action which I really hope is something that I will be able to do because one of my, you know, main points in all of my work is that objectivity is a myth. 
everyone comes in with personal biases. Everyone comes in with their opinions and their experiences. And that's okay. That's really, really valuable to, you know, to have and to talk about. And so, you know, I, the second episode that I had recorded initially and was working on for two months (laughs) was, um, just a science 101. It was just the basics of the scientific method, how experiments work, and very clear cut, trying to be objective, trying to just do an educational um, thing. And while that's really valuable, it's also something that you can get on Google, like realistically. So why would you listen to me talk about it? Um, So I think it is more important and more genuine for me to talk about something that I have a unique you know, way to voice. Um, So if none of you, if any of you already don't know this, um, I live in Texas. I go to UT in Austin and I am a hop, skip and a jump from the Capitol and from Abbott. And it is a really challenging time to be a scientist and a trans person in Texas. Uh, I, oh my goodness. So I talked a little bit about my research in the last episode. The (laughs) so just to run through the list of projects that I'm working on right now, I'm researching belonging in science communication. I'm doing my thesis on the experiences of LGBTQ college students who have experienced um, sexual assault, interpersonal violence, or other forms of Title IX offenses. I am uh, submitting a new proposal soon to research uh, public opinion about trans identities and gender nonconforming identities and to see how people are getting information that is scientific about those identities and those like the reality of those people existing, um, especially as it relates to including that information in primary education uh, curriculum, because as we know in this country, uh, we are we're losing a lot of it and it is it is definitely a battle which is you know really challenging and i'm a scientist so of course what am i going to do i'm going to ask questions i'm going to go and try and figure out what people are being told and think about how we can we can maybe fix that to be a little bit more accurate um yeah so and then my other project of course is the climate change and environmental justice project um which is also looking at you know it's horizontal power structures instead of vertical ones. And it's trying to give agency back to individuals who usually don't have a lot of agency in these conversations because we're not the ones that, you know, are producing the messaging. It's usually, you know, oh, you should recycle, you should, you know, drive an electric car rather than, hey, let's, you know, unite and engage in some community action that could actually be more meaningful and more effective in fighting climate change and the policies of larger corporations and governments who are the most um <laughs> uh most dangerous in producing carbon emissions and uh continuing to uh drill as we've seen with the approval of the willow project the that i just cannot wrap my head around i can't say that i'm surprised but it's also just wow um all of this to say my research is very based in identity and intersectionality and that is not something that i can pretend is unbiased i come to this with a lot of different identities 
I am very privileged because I am white and I had a really good financial uh, situation and I, you know, grew up middle class. I am, you know, at UT, I'm going to, you know, get my bachelor's degree. And that is something that is really amazing. And I, you know, have the privilege to think about going to grad school, uh, which is something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do. I am also gender nonconforming, non-binary, trans, uh, disabled, mentally ill, assigned uh, female at birth. Like, we gotta, gotta love that. Um, and I'm also a survivor of uh, interpersonal violence and uh, intimate partner violence is the, yeah. Um, and all of those things have very real implications for me and my research and the questions that I ask and the theories that I incorporate to answer them. So <laughs> uh, I just want to do a little bit of background on why it's important to talk about science in the context of politics. So obviously they're intertwined in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you see kind of the basic ones with, well, you need to know how chemicals work if you're going to do any kind of legislation on limiting, um, you know, chemicals leaking into your water or you know, toxins, like toxins that are getting into the air or climate change is a really good example. We, you know, we hear about expert scientists and expert witnesses who go and testify in front of Congress who, you know, their, their research is really, really important to consider to figure out what kind of policy is going to be helpful and effective to fight climate change. And of course, we also see this with, you know, engineers need to talk about um, you know, what it's going to take to build a rocket or a satellite. And those people have to go and testify and, you know, say, this is really important. And this is why we need this funding. And this is how long it's going to take us. This is why it's important. Uh, and all those things are really, really valuable. But, uh, you know, we, we don't often see, at least in Texas popular media, a lot of information about, um, you know, gender and sexuality that isn't the basic, oh, XX is feminine and XY is masculine. When in reality, there are six different common karyotypes for sex chromosome combinations. A karyotype is just, uh, if I were to look at your chromosomes, like individually and, you know, take a picture of them, that's a karyotype. So a picture of it up there so you can see it. Um, so, you know, one X and one Y we say is male and one X and another X is female. But then in reality, you can have XXY, you can have XXXY, you can have XYY, XYYY. Like there are, there are multiple options and that's just chromosomes. That's not accounting for the fact that there are also really important components of gender and sexuality that are also hormone-based and that are, um, you know, other, there's other things. That's really important to think about. There's, you know, different variations of how much testosterone and estrogen and progesterone that you have in your body. And then there's secondary sex characteristics. So deeper voice, facial hair, muscle mass, breasts, wider hips, the onset of menstruation. Um, and then, you know, just general anatomy. But there's so many things that can cause variation. Um, do you think this is just a new thing? It is not. In... Ancient Mesopotamia, just about every indigenous society that we have information about, there have been multiple genders, like written about, discussed, prioritized, 
this is not a new concept. This is something that has been happening for a really, really, really long time. And the fact that we like putting people into two boxes says more about our society than it does about our biology. Um, there is so much variation and diversity in our species that we should appreciate because it's really cool. Um, but so often we think about these things in like black and white terms. And I think, you know, that is, that's also something that I really want to talk about in this podcast and, you know, future episodes and future stories, because we always, we, we really tend to come at these issues with, oh, it's either right or wrong. It's either black or white. It's, you know, it's, it's binaries. Okay. So I want to introduce a fairly lengthy name of the framework that I'm going to use in the rest of my podcast episodes, because something that's really important to me, this is the theory that I'm going to use in my research. So why not? You know, if you want basic science facts, if you want really like micro level, how molecules work, let me know. I will do a lot of that stuff on my Instagram and I can definitely do some of that here. But the things that I think are most important and fun and relevant for me to talk about are the issues that also we see in the news every day, because those are things that I think, unfortunately, more people care about and more people should care about because it has very real effects on people and communities. So, okay, in that vein, I want to talk about the science of post-colonial, anti-capitalist, abolitionist intersectionality, which is a lot of words. Bear with me. I promise I, you know, have a point. Um, so this is a theoretical framework that recognizes the interconnectedness of social, economic, and environmental issues and how they contribute to oppression and inequality. Um, it considers how systems of colonialism, capitalism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, and other forms of oppression are perpetuated by institutions and structures that prioritize profit over people and the planet. So in the context of climate change and trans identities, which are two issues that I, you know, really personally care about, um, two of many, of course, and we'll get to more of them and this one in detail later. Um, but in this context of climate change and trans identities, trans and gender nonconforming identities, this framework recognizes that these issues are not isolated, but instead that they intersect with various forms of oppression and inequality. So climate change is often caused by unsustainable economic practices, including those that are driven by capitalist systems, as they disproportionately affect marginalized communities, such as indigenous peoples, people of color, and low-income populations. Um, so this is a term that we use to describe this a lot as extractive capitalism. So extractive because we take resources out of the earth and capitalism because we prioritize capital, prioritize profit. Um, and those systems lead to uh, over mining, over drilling. We, you know, take too many trees and do too much lumbering. And then that leads to soil erosion or we keep putting up factories and that leads to more carbon emissions, which leads to, you know, everything else that we hear about all the time. Like climate change is not something that anyone at this point is unaware of, or at least hasn't, you know, seen the headlines for. Um, and then trans identities too are 
shaped by social structures that reinforce gender binaries and heteronormativity. Heteronormativity is the idea that hetero relationships, so in a binary, men and women together in a relationship, is the norm, heteronormative. Um, that's usually the narrative that is pushed upon people who don't conform to that, you know, that lifestyle. Um, and I had this conversation with a lot of people and I know that by calling it a lifestyle, I am probably going to offend some people. But if being queer and choosing who you want to date, sleep with, or marry is a lifestyle, then so is choosing a partner of the opposite sex. So we can use the same language if, you know, we want. Um, but reinforcing those binaries and this idea of heteronormativity of saying this is what is supposed to be. And if you pick a random movie that has a couple in it, chances are it is a straight couple, uh, which, you know, just it's it's what we see. It's what we think of, you know, even just unconsciously. Our bias is that that's what it's supposed to look like. And, you know, we also see this with main characters are often white. They, you know, at least here they speak English. There's not a lot of uh films that you know use other languages except now that we have everything everywhere all at once which is an amazing movie for anyone who hasn't seen it highly recommend i hope you realize i i jump all over the place my brain is you know everywhere so if that doesn't work for you go to my instagram it's going to be a lot cleaner um just in terms of structure this is just going to be me rambling and eventually getting to points that I think are cool. Um, okay, the trans identities are, you know, reinforced with binaries and heteronormativity, which ends up leading to discrimination and even violence against trans individuals, particularly those who are also marginalized on the basis of race, class, disability, or other factors. Um, you know, there's, there's this idea even among... Um, that I hesitate to mention, but I think is important to talk about, that even among LGBTQ advocates and people who want to see queer representation in popular media, um, that white gay men is usually the standard. So even though there's a heteronormative aspect, there's also a, you know, cis, white, masculine, homonormative uh, identity that is sometimes prioritized of, you know, the the white gay man, because even though he's queer, there's still a lot of other privilege there versus someone who is a disabled, um, low-income Black trans woman, not someone that we see in popular media and someone who is way more likely to experience violence and discrimination and hate and all of the things that come with it. So point being is that issues aren't isolated. Nothing exists in a vacuum. The society that we've created, the way that we think about issues in our society is all linked and it is all, can be all tied back to issues of power and agency and control and choice. And this also ties in with oppression and inequality. Now, the abolitionist aspect 
of this framework recognizes that systems of oppression and inequality, such as the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex, and I would also say the police industrial complex, uh, perpetuate injustice and violence. And by prioritizing social justice and addressing the root causes of oppression and inequality, abolitionist strategies seek to create a more just and equitable society. So the post-colonial, anti-capitalist, abolitionist intersectionality, and once more, we're going to go through all of those words after I you know, finish this thought, is that it offers a holistic approach to understanding and addressing issues such as climate change and trans identities. So once again, let's go through post-colonial. So we're trying to decolonialize our society. Uh, I, you know, benefit from colonial society and white supremacy. I am white. I have, you know, I am involved in these systems, even if I am trying to dismantle them. Uh, I, you know, live in Texas. I live on land that was uh, known as Turtle Island and still is by indigenous communities that we have co-opted and called the United States. Uh, I live on land that was stolen from indigenous people. I, um, you know, I benefit from systems that oppress and hurt so many communities. Um, and it's really, really important to recognize that. So that's the post-colonial, we're trying to decolonize. Um, the anti-capitalist is, you know, fairly obvious. It is anti-capitalism. It is trying to move us, our systems and our economy and our politic towards a society that prioritizes people and planet over profit. And finally, abolitionist, uh, dismantling systems of oppression. We're abolishing them. So abolish the police, abolish the prisons. Like that kind of mentality is the same. It's that's abolitionist. That's the it's the mindset that we're taking into this framework. And then finally, intersectionality. Intersectionality, at some point, I'm going to do a full podcast episode. It is one of my favorite theories of all time. So it's an idea that was coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who is phenomenal. If you haven't heard of her, go look her up. She's amazing. She's also the one that came up with critical race theory. So you really should know her name. Um, a amazing Black researcher. So cool. I could nerd out about her for hours. But she came up with this idea that intersectionality is there is a difference in your experience, in your identity, in your, you know, going through your daily life, if two people go through the same experience, but they have different identities and different combinations of identities, they're going to experience it in a different way. So a white person versus a black person will experience things a different way. A white woman and a black woman will experience things a different way. A black cis woman and a black trans woman will experience things a different way. So it's all of these ideas of like looking at all of our different identities, all of our different experiences and combining them to get a really good idea of what things are affecting how you experience the world, how you experience life, how you perceive things, how you internalize things. And it's so powerful when we combine all of these things together to have this one massive framework that pulls all of these ties together so that we can understand and address the complex social, economic, political, environmental issues of our time. So recognizing the interconnectedness of these issues 
and then working to address the root causes rather than just trying to put band-aids over the, you know, the symptoms of the problems rather than, you know, we have to go down to the, to the root of it. Um, by doing this, we can develop more effective and equitable solutions that can promote justice and sustainability. Um, and I think this framework is so, so important and something that I wanted to remind myself about and something that I wanted to, you know, let you guys in on because this is something that's really important to me, especially being a uh, mentally ill person in Texas right now uh, and being trans and being someone who is uh, hurting, who is sad and angry and terrified uh, of the current politics in the state and in the country. Um, not to say that there are not great things. Minnesota, I see you, you're doing some good stuff. Um, but there are also a lot of really, really harmful uh, laws that are being proposed or passed across the country that you know will worsen our chances of solving and addressing climate change, that will hurt trans individuals, that will ban books and reading and really good knowledge that children should have that ban access to healthcare, that put people at, you know, a disadvantage to taking over their reproductive, like, agency and autonomy. All of these things are happening at once, and none of them are isolated, and we have to understand them together. And for anyone who doesn't think that these things are science-y, they are. There is science to this. As I talked about in my first episode, science is a way to see the world. It is a really valuable lens. It is, you know, it's systematic. It asks questions. You try and find the answers to those questions in very, you know, real down-to-earth ways. Um, and science can be theory and it can be applied. And there is science about all of these things. There is science about relationships. There is science about how we think about economics. There is science about which kind of political system is more effective. All of this is science. And it's all connected. If anyone, um, if you want a really fun book to see how everything kind of ties together, Sapiens uh, is phenomenal. It's, you know, a really good idea of, uh, it pieces together anthropology and philosophy and politics and economics and uh, history and all of these things into one massive, you know, glob of human existence that is so wonderfully accurate. Um, I love it, 10 out of 10, highly recommend. Um, but here is why, finally, at the end of this episode, um, I decided to kind of fast forward to what I want this podcast to be rather than trying to do all of the steps to get there is, um, urgency and, uh, the things that I have the energy to do, uh, realistically, I, I want to do this work. This is the kind of communication and advocacy and education that I am really interested in and that I am pursuing in a lot of my research. And it is scary that I have to have conversations with every one of my advisors about whether my research is legal and whether I have to change the terminology and the language that I'm using to make it less provocative. And caring about people and the science of caring about people and the science of communicating to other people why we should care about each other should not be should not be against the law. Um, and that's something that I have to worry about. 
So it's something that I'm going to let y'all worry about too. And I'm just going to keep talking about it because it's cool and it's important and I really like it. So next week, I'm going to do an episode all about intersectionality. We're going to go through Kimberly Crenshaw. We're going to read the first paper that she really, you know, came up with this term. And then we're going to talk about what it means for modern day. So stay tuned. Very excited. Stem with grace. Graceful, even when I'm angry. So 10 out of 10. See y'all later. Bye.